Hello everyone and welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson. On the podcast today, I have a little bit of Welsh surfing royalty. He may be better known for his books that were published, Riding the Magic Carpet, Chasing Dean, and Grey Skies and Green Waves. He also hosts a surfing podcast called Crest. Not only known for his surf literature and vocal mastery, but he also is an amazing surfer, as well as a tutor. So please enjoy my conversation with Welsh surfing wizard, Tom Anderson. Tom Anderson, welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. How are you? Oh, thank you very much. I'm all right. Uh, how are you doing, Ads? Yeah, really good, mate. Thanks for asking. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast as well. Uh, oh, no, pleasure. We've been talking uh, what, a couple of months now about doing this and... Uh, yeah. yeah, you've had your own things going on as well, haven't you? Oh yeah, it's been uh, it's been pretty busy actually. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I started the um, Crest, which was a you know a sort of show about surfing in Wales that I wanted to do for quite a while, and then um, yeah, this obviously that the last six months presented the opportunity to do that. So so we got pretty carried away in the end, and uh, we ended up doing twenty four in six months. So it's like yeah, that's basically once a week. And uh, and then now the uh, the the winter break. Although um, I'm expecting to be a, a dad again within the next like two to three weeks as well. So uh, so I suppose like borrowed time from the point of view trying to get some extra surfs in and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, trying to keep on top of it all. Um, oh, yeah, awesome. as well as a bit of um, bit of writing work as well because um, we're uh, we're hoping in time just in time for Christmas to re-release uh, one of my old titles, but with a bit of a sort of, you know, revamped and with some extra sort of reflections added to the start of it and a new cover and stuff like that. But whether that comes together in time for Christmas or not, we'll, uh, we'll see. Mate, there's at least three or four topics right there we can get cracked into, can't we? <laughs> yeah. So uh, how, did the, uh, how did the Crest podcast come about? Um, well, my, my other half, Breach, um loves listening to podcasts. Um, I used to listen to like a lot of, you know, lectures and stuff like that when I drove. And then um, she'd often said to me, oh, you know, why don't you do a podcast? And uh, about three or four years ago, as part of a research project I was doing, I landed a sort of audio file um, where I interviewed. Um, I've still got it sitting on the back burner. The, uh, the first ever world surfing champion, 1965 world surfing champion, Felipe Pomar is in Indonesia. And he was just around the corner and I was writing a, I was writing a project that needed some info from him. And, uh, and he just said, well, I'll tell you the whole story of winning the first ever world surfing title. So I turned my, um, so I just turned a record, a road recording app on the iPhone on and recorded him. And then, so she said, she was like, oh, you've got this Felipe Pomar conversation. You know, you, I, I do quite a lot of like um, chairing in like literature festivals and things like that, you know, interviewing authors and stuff like that. And, so she was kind of showing me these other ones. She showed me the looking sideways one and she was saying, you know, why don't you do it? And then Wales, I suppose, has always been underrepresented by media, or at least that's Welsh people's perspectives from it. Um, I suppose when, when Wales ends up in the media, it's often, um, I think it's very hard to, to make Welsh people feel properly represented when they're interviewed by what they would perhaps perceive as like the British media. So I thought like, oh, I'll do like a Wales-based thing. But then you want to sort of, you want it to be like, not not sort of immediately alienating anyone who's not from wales so i thought about it for a while um 
pay, got all the artwork done about two or three years ago. And then it just sat on the back burner for ages and ages and ages. And then a uh, dear friend of mine, Rob Blythe, with whom I do lots of beach commentary at surf comps said like, um, let's, let's just, let's do it. So me and Rob um, just recorded one between the two of us and branded it with this, with the branding I bought. People liked it. So then we lined up, we made for sure that we got an English guest for our first guest, Andy Martin. Um, and then after that, we spoke to Rhino, James Rhino Thomas, who ended up uh, um, who ended up co-hosting quite a few of them down the line. Then and uh, and and then it just went it just went ballistic straight away because Rhino had this fabulous story about um, Tom Curran writing a song for him, and uh, my dad wrote an article for the Inertia. And you know the way the Inertia sort of do those real sort of tabloid headings. So it was like. Uh, Meet the meet the Welshman so special. Tom Curran wrote a song about him with our podcast embedded on it, and then uh, and then it just like went into the three figures and the four figures straight away for Rhino's one. And uh, it wasn't long later then that you know people who'd initially said they weren't sure if they would come on the podcast were like, right, when's my recording date, dude? <laughs> so then, uh, yeah, we've tried our best to make sure that we interview outside of. Wales. So we, so the brand, the, the sort of uh, brand slogan, it was, it was all things surf from in and out of Wales. Um, and you know, hopefully it's worked, you know, I mean, you know, I've met enough people who are not Welsh who listen to it. Um, yeah, you know, your, your guest from last week, Luke Young, a close friend of mine is, um, he's pretty hot on like, um, you know, any, any occasion where the Welsh are not treating the English fair and, uh, he's only complained once so far. Yeah, you, you can't stop putting those comparisons in, can you? <laughs> Welsh and English. Yeah, yeah. There's two really bottomless pits that you can get into with that. Oh, oh, tell me about it. Well, that's why I'm almost keen to point out that you know I'm born in Watford, and uh, you know I'm a proud, uh, I'm a proud Welshman and an Englishman. Um, yeah, you know, and I'm a Welsh speaker, um, and uh, yeah. You know, and and uh, yeah, and British. You know, we're because uh, because Britain is a landmass, isn't it? You know, it's like it's like, uh, um, like you know, like like if we if we were Danish and Swedish, we'd both be Scandinavian. You know, and I think there's there's great similarities between us all. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's a rabbit hole that one is, isn't it? Is oh, rabbit yeah. hole the right word? It is. <laughs> Only governments and politicians define borders. Uh, yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, well, they try to, don't they? Yeah. Well, there's, yeah. there's a friend of mine who, uh, who who's much like yourself, who's a, who's a proud Welshman, but was born in Birmingham, and uh, I, I don't let up on that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, that, yeah, that Luke, Luke always says that to me, because he and I both share Hertfordshire as a birthplace, and he's always like, you're born in Hertfordshire. Um, yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't tend to get that, uh, that contentious an issue until, uh, until sports come around, and then, uh, but then, you know, I've pointed out that, you know, those tribal, those tribal differences you know, here, here, you know, when Cardiff plays Swansea, you get the same tribal differences, you know, or, uh, um, you know, North London when Arsenal play Spurs or Southampton, Portsmouth, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's just what we love to do, isn't it? We identify ourselves by, uh, by who our friends are and who our enemies are, don't we? I think it's a British thing as well, though, where you just kind of give each other a load of shit as well, even if you're not from those places. I mean, let's yeah. be honest, the majority of Manchester United or Arsenal fans aren't even from Manchester oh, anyway, or yeah. wherever are they? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you know what I find as well, right, that um, I meet a lot of English people who support Wales in rugby. Um, you know, if they've got like a Welsh grandfather or a Welsh 
you know father or mother or something like that and um and i i don't know whether but, but not so much for football i don't know whether that's like a um whether there's like a kind of a value system that that rugby represents that's different or not it's, or is that uh, just because they want to be different yeah maybe maybe well yeah i suppose you know i was yeah when i when i was growing up in 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 you know in wales and younger you know i used to sort of i i used to like being you know being from you know i'm from Watford and stuff like that i'd say to people and then uh yeah yeah it's a bit of fun isn't it needling people trying to stand uh, out whatever way you can hey uh, you, you can't you can't drive it a bit of banter can you no absolutely yeah. all right let's uh let's start with a few questions then so i've got three bang 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 straight in so okay where are you now what have you been doing today and when was the last time you surfed right uh i'm in my house and uh, I haven't actually got home very long ago, was it? It was half nine. And uh, I don't normally do this, but I work. Um, I'm a, I'm a, what, what would you call it? Head of upper sixth in a, in, in a, in a, um, and it's UCAS. Um, and we've got kids going through the Oxbridge bit, which is very important. So I've been working with kids on their personal statements and uh, getting their references together. And we've been sort of burning the midnight oil or I say midnight oil, like the 8 p.m. oil um and uh so that's what i've been doing with myself today good fun actually today i was uh i I rung a mate of mine up who's a barrister uh tim kevin surfer and barrister writer as well he's a he's a really interesting character um we're trying to get this uh trying to get this girl over the line to to get into oxford and she's um yeah you know she'd be the first of her family to go to uni and i'm really proud of what some of these kids are doing and uh the last time I surfed was, or was it today? She was at Sunday, uh, Sunday uh, in my local rest bay, and it was like two foot and crap. And uh, I just took a took a shortboard in and tried to wiggle around, just trying to keep fit, isn't it? Although, uh, yeah, we had some good surf about a week before that. I'll take two foot and crap any day. I haven't been in for weeks. I think the last time I went yeah. was I did a beginner's thing with... Um, with a media company called Parley, uh, oh yeah, up, up, up at the wave about two or three weeks ago. It was right, like yeah. a, it, it was like a mental health beach clean sort of thing that should be coming out soon. Not that I'm plugging oh, my cool. like, <laughs> mm. but um, yeah, uh, hopefully I'm going to get in this week. Maybe I don't know. There might be some good waves coming through. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, yeah, it was good the week before. How do you find the wave? It's, have you have you surfed the um, what do they call it? Uh, expert setting yet no when so I've, turn done, the tube on? <laughs> I've done the advanced uh yeah. which, which was pretty cool uh i did the advanced plus so i'm still I, i'm waiting to get up to do the expert so yeah. i've had mi- a lot of mixed reviews probably like yourself about it yeah yeah no I've, I've had a go with the expert i thought it was amazing myself okay um i don't know whether i got lucky with like the wind or or something um but once they said it's going to barrel it was like nine back-to-back kegs and it felt felt to me like it was pretty square and inside out and uh um yeah we even had we even took a teenager a local teenager Radharava up with us and uh got him to do some shaky filming and so uh so i was able to check from the side that you know that that, that they looked like barrels from the pontoon as well <laughs> no, yeah, so it was pretty cool it's all about camera angles right yeah, but then someone else went up uh, a few days later, and I was like, "Oh, you're going to get nine barrels back to back." And then, um, and they were a great surfer, and they weren't. They 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 found it. And when I saw the pictures there, they, it looked like the foam ball was kind of like filling the barrel the whole time. 
Um, so I don't know whether that was like to, to do with the wind direction or whether it got, so I need to go again to find out if it's always like that. I've been talking to a few people about this and on the expert level, apparently it's the first, I think between three or four waves, if you get those there after the water stopped moving about, right. um, that's where the, where the best waves and where it gets a lot more hollower. Once those waves start going, cause there's what, there's, uh, 20 waves in the set, isn't there? Once yeah. that water starts move, moving, that's when it starts churning it all up and you, it, there's loads of water moving. And that's why it gets oh, a little right, bit okay. funky, I think. Yeah, it could well, it could well be right. I don't know if there's slightly less waves on the expert setting. I think because they were saying that um, there's a longer period. I can't remember because you can't easily double. I think only like the first guy to go can double. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. Um I mean, like I've 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 only seen a few videos of it. I've actually, um, you know, because they only do them really early, really early in the last thing at night, don't they? Yes, they do. Yeah, it's dawn and dusk. Yeah, 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 and it's getting cold now for dawn up there. Yeah. So the pool's a couple of degrees ahead of everywhere else in cooling down, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I went there. Um, when did the, I went there in February? So what they opened up in oh. November last year. And it was like, honestly, it was like two Going degrees. To Scotland. Yeah. Oh, it, it was horrendous. <laughs> like my circulation, my fingers and my toes are pretty poor anyway. And I got in there, man. I was like, oh, yeah. I just couldn't feel anything, you know. Yeah. It's amazing though, isn't it? To have that, these sorts of like, you know, world, sort of what are they, you know, like, uh, like world leading facilities in surfing, like so close to our doorstep, you know. Yeah, it's really cool. I, and I think that aren't they, they're, they're opening one up or they've got building permission, I think, for Colompton down by Tiverton. And I think I one's been built in the east side of Birmingham as well. There's a big industrial estate there. I think they've got planning permission for as well. well that's that's great because, yeah, the more the better. And, you know, it sounds silly like to thin the crowds out, but, you know, I suppose it just means it'd be easier to get a book in, doesn't it? And uh, for any of them, you know. Yeah, I, I spoke to a friend of mine who owns a uh, Surfed Out down in North Devon, yeah. um, Glenn Harris, and he was saying he was concerned when it opened about um, the amount of tourists or people coming down to surf like around the North Devon area, just right. because it's like sits smack bang in that sort of like corridor where the M4 yeah, meets yeah, the M5 yeah. and all that sort of thing. But um, talking to people, um, I don't think I don't think that's the case. I, I, I think. Uh, it's got its place, especially when the weather's really poor and the swell's not running too hot. Um, right. But you yeah. can't beat going in the ocean, can you? No, no, you can't. And I went um, to Snowdonia a couple of years ago, like the first, you know, first or second year that it was up and running, and um, surfed the pool in the evening. Or in fact, I should call it the tank for this for the for the for this story to give it the right sort of, you know. <laughs> so surf the tank in the evening and then surf the tank again at dawn, and then in the afternoon went over to um uh I w should I say that yeah, to Porth Cariad, um which is this sort of like uh cliff surround like beach break surrounded by cliffs that wedge is left off the off the cliff and uh, it was and it was barreling inside out and it was just like the yeah the sort of thickness of it the the like the salt the weight of the water the way it moved yeah sat, having like sand sloshed up by what you just suddenly realize all these amazing beautiful things about the ocean that are missing when you're in a tank and you just you do see it the smells you know the seagulls like you know the just everything and, it, and it's suddenly there and you, you you know you're like yeah blown away i always find you know surfing in the ocean like nothing tops it i remember the first time i went snowboarding um i went up to uh 
I hadn't got, I didn't start snowboarding until I was like 28, I think. And I'd, I'd like, um, resisted it. And then, and then I, in order to be able to just hit the ground running, like literally went to Tamworth and I'd like, I'm just paid to learn to snowboard in a day with a one-to-one instructor so that I could just go with the boys and go straight, you know, down. And, and then uh, I got really lucky because all the flights got grounded after ours and we were in Sestria and it was empty and full of powder and no other people's flights managed to leave on time. And I was like saying to my mate, like, God, snowboarding always like this. And he was like, no, nah, this is the best snowboarding trip I've ever been on in my life. And I was thinking, that's it. I'm, you know, how am I ever going to like surfing again? Came home, went in Rest Bay, my local two foot shit, paddle out and immediately there was just this purity to surfing. And I suddenly like, you haven't got all the bindings, even though you've got all the winter gear on and like paddling into a wave and that feeling of like lining a wave up, waiting for it in the ocean, lining it up, paddling into it, feeling, feeling your paddling momentum suddenly get picked up by that wave, getting to your feet and just wiggling on a two foot wave somehow was still something I'd missed when I'd been traveling like what was it 40 miles an hour for like 15 minutes ago through powder and I still somehow had realized I'd missed that feeling of like sloshing across a two-foot lump of junk in South Wales so uh, there, there is something to be said about yeah just the sea that that is just right there was either conversation about this um a few weeks ago and the, it was again I was talking to a friend of mine and get, it was a little bit based around mental health and uh, I, I read a book, um, I've probably said this a couple of times now, called The, uh, the Blue Mind. Right, the, yeah. The whole, the whole premise of the book was all about how um, humans are drawn to the ocean. Right. And how our interaction with the sea, whether it's either living by it, going on holiday, um, yeah. by a swimming pool or something, you're always drawn to it. Um, yeah, and, we are. But being in those conditions, being in the environmental factors, um like you say, it brings something out of us. And I think it's quite calming as well. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, because it's, it's, I suppose, you know, it's, what is it? It's Zen or it's mindfulness. It's like being, it's being absorbed, isn't it? You know, you're moving with that energy. Um, yeah, and that, that's why we do it really, isn't it? Because it just, it just feels right. It is, uh, and uh, especially surfing or just any form of, whether it's bodyboarding, surfing, paddling, canoeing, or anything to do with the ocean, just being around it and having those again those environmental factors there mm. again have 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 a direct correlation with with your mental health because I you know like we're saying it, it is quite calming, but also I think it gives you a little bit of reality as well especially for instance when we're surfing and surfing bigger waves that might have a little bit of consequence it kind of puts a bit of perspective on things doesn't it yeah yeah it does yeah and i think you know that that might be one of the reasons why you know i i I got embroiled in this like jocks versus purists debate you know and like uh you know i'm I, i am a sports person you know as a surfer you know that that um, I've always been interested in competing. Um, you know, I still probably use a shortboard in, in two foot gravel more than I should do and like wiggle around and often surf with a watch and stuff like this. And I actually wonder whether, um, yeah, there's a paradox in trying to take something so pure and like turn it into like something that's regulated and ruled. And, and But I sort of wonder whether from like a purely sort of selfish point of view, the reason why I'm so 
you know, I'm all for surfing being like a sport and all that is because I, I feel as though it will like legitimize how much time I spend surfing and I can like masquerade as like a normal functioning member of society more easily if surfing is like rated as like, Oh, that's okay. Yeah. You know, he's a sports person. Yeah. You know, he, he's dedicated to his sport. Whereas, uh, you know, if, but what I'm actually trying to hide is like, you know, that, you know, that's, that, that's a guy who just sort of, you know, yeah, a beach bum. Yeah. Um, and, and, and by somehow branding surfing as something like a more worthwhile pursuit in the eyes of others, I'll get away with doing it more. I don't know. Maybe I've just given the game away in public. (laughs) More people are going to come down the beach now you said that. I think you just hit the nail on the head a little bit there because uh, you're talking about beach bums and stuff like that. I mean, again, talking about paradoxes and and comparisons, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, surfing was seen as, you know, this sort of like dropout kind of pastime. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, whereas now it's not, and it is seen more of a more of a sport and a mainstream thing. But yeah, it is. Yeah. Imagine if we had. Imagine, for instance, let's talk about like a stereotypical dad who kind of says to his son, "Oh man, you're a, you're a dropout. You need to get a real job." But then you're like, "Okay, well, you grab yourself a surfboard and go and jump in the white water for a couple of hours, and then you tell me." that what I'm doing is not beneficial. Yeah. Because, you know, you when, when you take some learners down, they have an hour in the water after you've been teaching them, they come out and they're absolutely fucked because yeah. the white water smashed them around. I mean, okay, yeah. you know, you've got to yeah. take con- uh, conditions into consideration, but there's something very athletic about it. But also when you take all the science and how you read waves and, and everything else that comes with it, you know, that's what makes it addictive, I think, because there's so many different parallels to it. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I mean, you know, some some people will hate me for saying this, but like one of the other sports that I feel like I can truly spend a lot of time doing is golf. Um, and I think, again, there's the same thing going on there that it's never, it, it's always changing. It's never going to be the same. Um, you know, you're always taking in all these, you know, all these different factors, adding them all up, computing them in your brain. And, uh, and, and you're sort of part of, you know, I suppose like the football pitch or the rugby pitch or the basketball court doesn't, doesn't specifically change. Or even if it does change, um, the sort of parameters in which it's taking place doesn't, you know, and I think, uh, yeah, surfing obviously, you know, is a much more sensory experience than golf, but I think that there's that kind of endless complexity like it says it's like a kind of a universal um yeah sense of sort of like you know that you're battling against infinity really um which is really nice because you can't win and you're just gonna all you're gonna do is get absorbed by it and uh, and that that i suppose is actually kind of back to the idea of zen really do you find Um, have you ever thought thought about the reason why you might look at golf when the waves aren't so good so so for me I'll give you an example. When the waves weren't good, when I was uh, based up in North Devon, you know, I was in the water like three or four times a day when it was yeah. good. And, and when the conditions weren't so good, I was looking for something to try and fill that gap, to fill that void. And I read an article, okay, Kelly Slater, I've just yeah. put that name out there, and he was doing jiu-jitsu. And right. Being in the Marines, you know, fighting's one of our things. So yeah. You know, I thought, 
Well, I'll phone a few friends up and then Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu got thrown out there for me and Kelly yeah. State was into it. And he said there was, you know, some good correlations between the two things. So I thought, you know what? I'll give it a go. And I haven't stopped since because like surfing, it has so many different elements to it that every time you do it, it's never the same. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Did you, I mean, have you ever thought about that? You ever thought for the reason why maybe you might be looking at the golf, for instance, to, to try and... Yeah, I think I think it probably is that with the combination of the fact that it's something that it's out amongst nature. Um, you know, and I suppose, yeah, the, the, you know, you talk about fighting. Um, that That is nature as well, isn't it? You know, it says that that's pretty much as... Um, you know, yeah, it's instinct, isn't it? You're on instinct. I suppose golf is the complete opposite because you're often trying to repress instinct um, to be able to get things right. Um, but yeah, I think um, it's just the idea of something that's completely unmasterable. You know, you can you can you can have you can have mastery of it, but you but you're not sort of you know you 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 haven't won or you haven't beaten it or you haven't sort of done it. You know, um, perhaps if we say you know the sort of antithesis of that would be your uh, oh, fun than they are, but like you know, like your pub sports or a video game. Um, you know, you complete a video game, or you know, you can you can eventually get a one four seven, or you can get a one eighty, or you know, if you're if you're lower down, you know, you can hit a bullseye or something. But uh, you just, yeah, you're not going to do it in in these in these these other activities, you know. Um, and and as soon as something, as soon as a moment is gone, you know, you know in. Um, yeah, I've watched I've watched jiu-jitsu and I've watched you know some of the UFC stuff you know like as soon as it's as soon as that as soon as something's done and gone it won't be the same you know it, yeah it would never be repeatable um you know in those set of circumstances um yeah it, it, it's interesting yeah um what I'd like to do is just talk a little bit about you so um you know one of the main reasons why I wanted to get you onto the podcast is because you know, I, I read your books years ago, right? Um, and really, really enjoyed them. And I think I, I might have mentioned to you a few weeks back. I actually bought um, "Riding the Magic Carpet" for um, for one of my mates' uh, sons who uh, who turned twelve. Right. Uh, you know, he he got into surfing. Um, I, I got him a foamy and threw him in the water, and he was literally like. Oh, just couldn't get enough like he was absolutely throffing on it and so I, I gave him the book and he started reading it and he was like oh, how, how can I do this it was almost like you know when people get that drive like I just want to go traveling I want to do this I want to do that hmm. um, yeah can you just you know talk a little bit about yourself you know where you grew up how you got into surfing and then you know also a little bit about your writing as well yeah sure um so I uh yeah, well, I'm from yeah, born Watford, and then um, and then I lived just outside of Bridgend, um, and I had a pretty unorthodox upbringing because um, my my parents were uh, well, they were first of all they were like hippie surfers, and then um, from one extreme to the other, they uh, they started up like a kind of a Christian community, and uh, so so I was homeschooled then. They started up like a, a school within that community. And then um, they managed to buy, along with some other families, like a street, um, a whole street of ex-police houses on the outskirts of Bridgend. And then they set up like, a, they literally, it was like a community. Um, and so I was like homeschooled um, until 
or what are we talking until like eight or nine? Yeah, nine. And then, yeah, no, it was later again because it was the World Cup Italia 90 was when I first started in like a school school and Italia 90 had just happened. And, um, and then that was, I was then sent to a Presbyterian private school. Uh, and I suppose, I think I was like, I was an outsider then. And, uh, and I think I've always been comfortable with being an outsider. You know, like kids I teach nowadays, you know, they, they, they often say to me, I'm completely proud of this. Like for some ridiculous reason, I, I, I know thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of verse from all sorts of things. Like, you know, I could, I could bore you to death now by like half the rhyme of the ancient mariner. And it's not because I've listened to the iron maiden version, um, you know, or like, or like any, any line, you know, lines from like Shakespeare plays and things like this. And kids say like, Oh, you know, that's like, how long have you been? And I was like, well, since I was like eight or nine and kids are like, Oh, that's really, you know, geeky. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm geeky and proud of it. You know, I don't care. Um, and I think when, when I then went to this private school in Cardiff and then um, at the age of 12 moved to Porthcawl and went to Porthcawl comp, it was like immediately, well, I was beaten up actually like 91 or 92 walking back from this private school by some kids from another school, like quite badly beaten up. And, um, and then when I got to Porthcawl comp as well, I think people thought that like, oh, you know, he's, he's a bit odd. Like good friends of mine now say like, you were real odd when you joined the comp. And, um, and I think in my head, I kind of got, I think it's a very superficial motivation in the beginning. I think I was like, right, well, why, um, why is, why do I meet people who instinctively like don't like me for what I am as in like not wearing cool clothes or not like, um, you know, like I liked American football, um, because that was what they played in that private school that I'd gone to. And, uh, you know, and, and, and people thought that was weird. And, and, um, I've been quite loyal to some of those passions like American football now is still something that I stick by. Uh, and then, um, yeah. And, and so I think in my head then I saw surfing and my dad had been a good surfer, you know, like a, a champion surfer in his time and, uh, yeah, contemporary of, of, uh, of PJ and, you know, so, so, so when going surfing, I was immediately like, Oh, you know, that's that, that guy's dad's top, you know, my dad was like one of the main guys out at the point catching good waves and all that. And, so I remember thinking quite quickly, although I don't think I thought it in words, but I think what actually happened then is I was like, right, well, if I get good at surfing, which I've got a reasonable chance of doing, um, then maybe uh, these kids who don't like me because of what I am, not who I am. I saw the way that other kids who were good at surfing were liked for what they were, not who they were, as in like, oh, he's a sponsored surfer, he's popular. You know what I mean? So I think in a way, I think that was actually why I was super competitive. It was like, right, if I beat these, if I, if I can, if I can beat the most popular kid in the school in a surf comp, then like, the, the, you know, in theory, by the playground rules, I've got his crown. Uh, you know, so I was quite quickly then like trying to do whatever I could to win surf comps or get sponsored and stuff like that. Um, and then I think running alongside all of this, was the fact that at the end of the day, though, the route that I was not going to take to social acceptance was just like towing the line of like how people talked and what was cool, you know, like I, I didn't want to do it by being like follower cool, you know? So I was like, right, I'm not, you know, so I'm not going to just fit in socially. So yeah, you know, I'm still going to be the kid who speaks French because I'd been, I, I spoke French as well. Um, 
which was funny. I remember that like, freaked out one of the teachers and half my classmates the first time they stuck me in a French class and I started talking French. And then I'm not, you know, so I'm going to be the guy who's got all these Shakespeare lines he can say off by art and can speak French. But then like, because I surf all right, people are going to have to be polite to me. I don't think it quite worked out like that. Um, I think I probably still stayed a bit of a weirdo, but running alongside all of this then was that, you know, we were just talking about our love of the ocean. Um, you know, I love language and I think that um, you know, I love languages and uh, and I think that language to me is the only thing in this world more interesting than light and gravity. You know, I think like, you know, the, the, like you can blow your mind thinking about stuff that's out there in the universe, but I think it absolutely blows your mind to consider that, you know, you and I are doing it now over this video link that we can have ideas and thoughts in our head and by making all these codified noises to each other, or by scribbling stuff on a page, you can plant those thoughts in someone else's head and they can have them too. And that's what language is. And then obviously on a much higher level, you know, you, you, you know, if you can use language poetically, you know, you can beguile, you can, can, you know, and you can do so much with it. So I was always interested in sort of writing and scribbling and stuff like that. Um, and so then I suppose eventually then I started thinking like, well, I, I think I do want to study and I do want to go to university and I want to write and I, you know, I always loved reading and writing. And so then um, I was in a guy called Rob Middlehurst, um, a lecturer. So, so I initially applied to uni to go to Bournemouth to do script writing for film and TV. Um, and then I didn't go because I took years out, traveled and surfed and tried to sort of do the surf thing. And then um, when I did go back to uni, it was like just driving up the road in a, in a car to, uh, University of South Wales and I signed up to study to try and become a journalist and um and then this lecturer Rob Middlehurst who was a you know a lecturer in in what was it called it was like writing culture and society was this module and he was like right travel writing you know what, but you've always got to have you've got to have a unique angle and it just the words just literally came out of me one day I was like sitting in Rob's class and I just started scribbling um, this conversation I'd had in the Orkney Islands on a trip that I'd taken up there with a barman. And I started scribbling the conversation on the page and it ended up literally being the first few lines of the Orkney Islands chapter of Riding the Magic Carpet. And um, I showed it to the lecturer, Rob, and he was like, um, oh, what's, you know, what's, what's, you know, what's surf travel, like in, in the Orkney Islands. So this idea of like a surf travel tale, like a tale to find the perfect wave that begins in the Orkneys. And, uh, and so, so, you know, he loved it. The lecturers all loved it and they were all banging on about it. And, uh, and I ended up graduating from, through, you know, from my degree with a first, um, all, all off the back of this 30,000 word dissertation that I'd written. And then the lecturers were like, right, you know, the, the, if I've ever seen anything that's going to get published on this course, it's got to be this. And um, they've had master's students published, but they wanted to see if like, so I, I had the, the, the accolade of being the first undergraduate story written on any of those courses at Glamorgan that got published. Um, and so the lecturers helped me find a publisher afterwards. And then, um, but then when I found the publisher Summersdale, they basically gave me the bigger premise of like, you know, right, where is the perfect wave? And I said, well, it's probably in my opinion, Jeffrey's Bay. And they were like, so this really, you know, could this be a story about, trying to get to Jeffrey's Bay 
And I was like, well, not really, because you get to Jeffrey's Bay by like going to Heathrow and getting on a plane to South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. And then the, 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 the woman who'd bought it, the editor, uh, Jennifer Barkley, great, great editor who really influenced how I went on to write. She was like, yeah, but you know, what's, what's the personal journey? And then when I thought about it, actually, I had, it'd be a great disappointment to people who read Writing the Magic Carpet. I went to J-Bay at 19. Um, as a conscientious moral stand against Indo because Indo had just done a massacre in East Timor and the, my mates were going to Indo and I was like, I am not going to Indo. They've just killed all those people in East Timor. Um, I'm not giving the Indonesian government 500 quid of my hard earned because that was how much it cost to stay in Indo for three months back then. Um, so I went to South Africa instead to J-Bay. Um, but we basically bumped J-Bay on as if, um, I went there at the end of like a series of other countries all trying to get like ready for JBay. But in reality, what I did was I went to Durban for two months with the sole purpose of getting fighting fit for JBay and then went to JBay for the start of the season. But, you know, you're not going to say no to a publishing contract. So I just agreed to write the story that, that they recommended. And then from there, um, chasing Dean, um, you know, the sort of the, the second book, the American book, they said, oh, that's not going to really fly. You can have that deal if you write the same book also set in Britain. So I had to write the two books. So I put heart and soul into Chasing Dean, 96,000 word book. Pretty small following. Banged out Grey Skies, Green Waves, which is 54,000 words in like a couple of months without reading it back once. And that that has just sold and sold and sold and sold and sold since. And Chasing Dean has like been, you know, had more of a niche market. So you've got to listen to publishers when they tell you what they think is going to sell, you know, you really have, because they do know. Why do you think uh, Chasing Dean didn't do as well as the other two? Uh, I think it had, um, it was difficult. It was oddly marketed. I think, um, yeah, possibly like quite superficial things like the title probably wasn't quite right. Um and uh, and I think, yeah, I think that apparently travel writing in America, you know, in America doesn't sell well to, you know, Brits don't buy American travelogues that well, which I was surprised to learn. But I do now know that to be the case. You can't sell books about America in Britain. You can sell them in America. Um, so I think it was that. But Jason Dean's had repeated attempts at movie interest. Um, so I've had some script writing experience off the back of it where a couple of different people have turned up at different times and tried to experiment with getting enough of it together for, um, to do something to do with like a movie script to that. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, if I had my time again, Chasing Dean should be a novel really rather than like a travel story. I really enjoyed it. Oh, well, cool. I'm glad if, if, if one person enjoyed it, that's, it is job done. Honestly, I, I, you know what? It's really surprised me, but I'm always like the opposite of whatever people think anyway, and I always have been. Yeah. But I enjoyed that one because it wasn't like any other stereotypical surf story where you're looking for the perfect wave or looking for waves and you get there and they're, and they're there. The yeah. story's about, you know, you're bouncing up the coastline, not necessarily finding those waves, but having yeah. good experiences by talking to people. Like, for instance, and this is going to sound really, I did a little bit of research today. To believe it or not, on Wikipedia and Google, there's not much <laughs> about you, to be honest with you. Do you know what? Apparently, um, I don't know if it's still there. 
Chasing Dean is on Wikipedia on Hurricane Dean's Wikipedia page. Oh, really? <laughs> but not in, but not as a book. Yeah. So I, I um I I looked. There was a video on there, and I've written it down here. Where is it? It has got. So you were on a um a program back in two thousand and six called Free Ride. All oh, right. Yeah. 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 I was Colin, uh, Colin Francis. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you were talking about that. And also there was a video of Chasing Dean that came out as well. And you were talking a little bit about that on there as well. Yeah. They were, they were proper old school. I mean, it's only 2006, but they're like yeah. really old school. Bag, it's things. the baggy clothes is the giveaway, isn't it? <laughs> and the haircut. And the haircut, yeah. Yeah, like really baggy clothes, sitting down on some rocks going, yeah, man, this is so cool. Like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, there was, you know, the Chasing Dean trip, um, one of the most memorable parts of the entire trip was our night on the piss with the US Marine Corps. Uh, uh, do you know have what? You, have, have you been to Camp Lejeune in North Carolina? Do you know what? I, I, I haven't, I've been to America on my own like on right. surf trips and stuff, but I've never been like uh, out to Camp Lejeune or Pendleton or anywhere like yeah. that. Yeah. So the story that you're just about to tell was actually one of my favorite stories that you told in the book. And it is also on these videos as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was, it was, it was a mind blowing because we just, we did not, you know, and this is the thing you, you know, to get a good travel story, you must not plan your trip. You know, and like that sounds like a really stupid idea, but you mustn't. You know, you're planning like a holiday that's a road trip, you plan it, but you must not plan the trip. So that was where we got tired. That was where the end of the road was that night. Um, we pulled it, it was that much of a coincidence. We pulled up, we went out to try and find some food from a takeaway. We found a tiny pub, we walked in. The pub was kind of odd, everyone in it seemed a bit odd. And then halfway through a game of pool, you know, it was like first guy was like, oh, you know, I'm in the Marines or I'm in the Marines too. And then we sort of looked around and we saw all this memorabilia everywhere. And we were like, are you all in the Marines yet? And uh, and then Camp Lejeune was like three miles from where we were. And, um, you know, they'd all come out for the night and they were all off to Iraq the next day. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, we, oh, well, all, all about four or five of them were off to Iraq the next day. And, uh, and yeah, you know, we were singing Hey Jude with them and, uh, uh, on the karaoke and there was this 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 song by toby keith or keith toby like some sort of american folk singer who does like patriotic songs about being an american soldier and they were all singing it together and uh it was incredible and then the next day after driving through round the outskirts of camp Lejeune and seeing all the banners hung up everywhere you know like welcoming people home hello daddy welcome home and all stuff like that and it was uh it was really heavy um, cause you know, I'll be straight with you, you know, before that, you know, me and Rid, the guy that I was traveling with, you know, we, we were pretty irreverent really of sort of, you know, when, when was this, you know, this was the mid two thousands. And like, as far as we were concerned, you know, if you were a surfer, um, you know, it, it was like you were anti Bush and Blair. Um, and you know, I suppose with that came an automatically irreverent attitude to at least America's armed forces, you know? Um, and, and it just blew our minds just to, you know, I suppose, to get the idea that, you know, just the, I suppose the human, the human cost of like, you know, what, what those guys were doing, you know? Yeah. I think people from the outside looking in, especially from the surfing community, the only sort of insight they've got is films like Big Wednesday and, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And trying to know, avoid going to Vietnam yeah, or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and apocalypse now, you know, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, 
I mean, I, I, I don't really have a perspective on it because, you know, I, I, I joined the military when I was 17, 18 years old. It just so happened yeah. that I got into surfing when I was 14. So I kind yeah. of had this, the, that side by side. I never really had or have had a... Um, um, it feels weird saying civilian because... Yeah. Um, it, it's the same thing to me, really, especially as I'm older now. It's just a job at the end of the day, but you don't really see the other side of the perspective. You know, I don't yeah. have, this is going to sound really weird. It feels like I haven't got that freedom to go and travel and do what I want to because I could probably go and do it for like a month, but then yeah. I have to come back again. Whereas I, yeah. you know, as a, yeah. as a somebody that isn't serving in the military, doesn't really matter. You can go and do it for as long as you want, yeah. or as long as the money lasts, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, and I think that um, that sense of loyalty, um, you know, the 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 Marine Corps uh, was it Semper Fidelis, you know, their logo, you know, always always loyal, um, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, you know, just the the sense of service and the fulfilment they get from that um, was. Yeah, you know, I think I, actually I was really lucky when I met those guys to have a thing in my life that I was loyal to and follow. And that was surfing. Um, although actually it's a completely selfish thing to be loyal to and follow. Um, because I think, you know, you could easily feel from, from, from seeing the dedication, you know, like I, I meet people who sort of, you know, they, they, they haven't got a, they haven't got a thing, you know, they haven't got a, they haven't got something that they stand for. Um, and those guys absolutely, absolutely have, um, and uh that that is immediately life has got meaning you know and 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 so so also has suffering then doesn't it you know it's like because it's you know it's for it's for good it's for a purpose yeah does that make sense no no it does it makes it makes perfect sense And and i think you you're trying to put um again your perspective is kind of counter intuitive to what mine is you're like an outsider looking into the military yeah and then a, a person in the military looking out on the on the outside as well it's it's the same sort of thing you know um mm. but yeah it's it, it is a it is a weird concept especially when you know you you know people that have gone away and served and yeah um, well you've also got to remember as well a lot of those people there will have things like surfing and whether it's, mm. uh, you know, they're into motor racing and stuff like that. So just yeah. because just because they wear a uniform doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they're all in on that. You yeah, know, yeah. The, the people's attitudes and their pers- their perspectives, they might even think it's just a job as well, you know. Mm. So, um, yeah. That's it, interesting because to, to, do it, to do it well, does it have to be everything or um, actually like most like most you know high level professions does having something as important in your life as an outlet like surfing mean that you're able to sort of you know be professional about what you do i think it it helps a lot more and you know like i was talking about before and i've talked about on previous podcasts where you know surfing and jiu-jitsu or martial arts or something like that it's an escapism it's it's something to take your mind away for a few hours and and you know 
recharge those batteries again because yeah you know things like that are horrific um but yeah. you know being a public servant like a police officer or yeah. a fireman yeah. you know they're not necessarily in the military but they're still seeing things on a day-to-day basis that you know could be horrific or stressful yeah absolutely they have those outlets as well yeah you know, and that's what people draw on a lot. And I think that's where, you know, people see that familiarity with surfing and other things as well that, mm. you know, they can get away from. Yeah. No, that, inspiring, that, inspiring stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean and, and reading these, the, the books that you've written as well, it, it also inspires a generation that would necessarily sit behind a TV screen and watch Netflix even now. Yeah. To, if, when they read those books that like, you know there's something outside here that, you know let's go traveling or yeah. or inspire them to travel which you i don't know whether someone may have said that to you or not but well you know one of the things that i take to be an enormous compliment with regards riding the magic carpet is it does tend to be a book that um people or often guys who who supposedly like don't read read <laughs> you know i'm filled with that you know like I meet a lot of people who say, that's the only book I've ever read. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I, I'm not some sort of evangelist for reading, you know. Um, you know, if you're talking to someone who's like 18, 19, 20, you know, the, the battle of whether they're going to be a reader or not is probably lost and won by that age. But the idea that, um, you know, that, that, that it's caused people to have, you know, what is it? Is it like a literary experience or whatever? Um, it's because it's tapped into something else. And I suppose it is that, that wanderlust, you know, that idea of like just getting out on the road and going wherever, whenever. But isn't that uh, and then they get think? really disappointed when they know that that's not what I do now. <laughs> yeah, fair. But yeah. isn't that what surfing's about though? It's almost like that, exp- even if it's just going around the corner or around the point or 10, yeah. 15, 20 miles away, yeah. you even when you start getting into it and you say, you know, Porth Calls, your local break that where you used to go surfing, but I guarantee yeah. you when your friend drove or, you know, someone said, oh, do you want to come with me? You know, down to oh, the yeah, hour, course, like yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, you know, that's the next step, isn't it? You're like, oh, this yeah. is amazing. You go down there and then, and then there's your expanding yeah. ring. Of Absolutely. Travel. And then France and then, and then a bit beyond France and then eventually you jump long haul. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, which well, is basically the idea behind yeah that story, really. You know, until you until you're face to face with, uh, you know, the, the the same the same the same track that you know your idols have been on. Like you know, in, in the case of riding the magic carpet, it was Tom Curran. Um, you know, in that way, the, that movie, The Search. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's it's not fair on myself to say that that's not what I do now because I do. I do travel a lot and, you know, until, until my daughter was born, you know, we were in Indonesia every single summer without fail and off, you know, off to like, yeah, you know, always trying to find, find, you know, find new ways in Indo. That's not fair, you know, like go, go to spots we hadn't been to before and stuff like that. And, um, um, it's just, but it's just currently I'm probably, yeah, technically by, by, by the standards of the narrator of writing the magic carpet, I'm currently boring, as in like, you know, a dad with a job. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, loving it, isn't it? It, it is, but, you know, and you know, surfing is an individual sport. 
You know, it's, yeah. I mean, you could technically class, you know, you've got a UK surf team or a Welsh surf team, but you know, yeah. at the end of the day, when you go out and you can, if you compete, you go into the water, you're on your own, aren't you? Or if you go for a surf, you might go with your mates, but at the end of the day, it's it's you performing those yeah. maneuvers, yeah. catching those waves, seeing, seeing what's coming in, you know, you picking the spot to sit. Yeah. So we do participate in a very selfish sport, but I think it's one of those sports or pastimes that, you know, takes a very long time to get good at too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like we were talking about earlier, it's, it is a skill, but it's the lifestyle and it's the interest behind, you know, looking at weather conditions. I mean, look at, look at, um, look at the way that we do predictions now we've got everything at the touch of our fingertips whereas like yeah. in the old days you'd look at the low pressure on bbc yeah Media. you would yeah you'd watch the weather, the weather view on a, on a sunday wasn't it at 12 15 or whatever it was you know where they yeah. give you the, the chart for the week ahead yeah and then, and then find like a, a book in the library that tells you about iso bars and all the yeah. little bits that go on yeah. to the iso bars and yeah you know you'd have to learn all of that stuff for yourself and then yeah. you'd go somewhere and then you'd predict the swell yourself and then would it come in or would it not you might just yeah. miss out you don't know do you yeah but that's the yeah. whole fun of it right yeah absolutely and and i was lucky to go to jv um when surf technology you know was still in its infancy relatively and uh so you know that story from riding the magic carpet of arriving at jv with no real idea for when the season is due to begin and then just like waiting out in this like sunny flat mediterranean town for it to suddenly turn overnight into into the place that you know we as surfers know and see yeah you know and there'd be a daily fax you know up in one of the local surf shops with the with the the navy models on it you know or the the maybe you know the the isobars and it was doing exactly that and then it's like you're trying to apply your knowledge that you've got from europe to like right you know so you know how far away is the roaring 40s you know what time you know how many days is that going to take and uh yeah I'll tell you one of the things that really struck a a, a, a point with me when you're talking to PJ uh, yeah. was the the old um, phoning up the hotlines to find yeah. out when the swells were. I used to do that all the time. And yeah. I, was like that. I used to have a little card that was in my wallet and I think it was called like Big D's or something. Yeah. It, it was the same sort of areas where, like you were saying, Anne's Cottage Surf Shop where you'd ring them yeah. up and you ask them where it was and you put the code into like whatever break it was that you're trying to look at. Yeah. I was like, no way, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's gold PJ, isn't he? Uh, it was quality. It was so was good. It, that surf report of his was an institution for you know a long time. Yeah, the, the recordings that you did, that you added into the podcast, did he actually do those there and then, or were there some legacy ones? No, he did. And and I had, um, the, the last report he'd ever done, I had a recording of it and I lost it and we were gutted. And then, um, so so Crest has a producer um, who, you know, does, yeah, so, you know, I've been really lucky in that sense that, you know, he's, he's uh, James Dodd he's been absolutely brilliant um and music is his thing really and uh and so um, when we arrived in the morning PJ had all these guitars everywhere and Dodd and TPJ immediately start talking about guitars we interviewed PJ in the morning and then we had lunch and we were going to do James's son in the afternoon although they appeared the other opposite way around in the series and uh we just locked Dodd and PJ in a room together 
um, for lunch. And we, we, we went off and had lunch ourselves. And, uh, and I could hear music coming from up there. And, you know, so, so Dodd just recorded songs of PJ then, which he has spliced over the, over the podcast. But um, I did say to him, I said, you were about to do some recording with him, aren't you? And Dodd was like, yeah. I said, get him to do a surf report. <laughs> yeah, and Dodd strong. goes, all right, I will. I said, see if you can get him to, um, to say something at the end, like, you know, it's a great day for listening to Crest. And then, um, and then he did it all in one take and, and he didn't say the crest bit at the end. And I was going to Dodd, you know, you get, you get really, you know, you're trying to be a perfectionist. I was like, oh, what about the crest bit at the end? And Dodd just said, it was not right for the moment to ask him to do it a second time. <laughs> you know, so, so we ended up with like, uh, uh, it was brilliant. You know, we'd been saying to him, we're going to release this on, uh, on, on the anniversary of your European title and James's birthday, October the 1st, October the 1st. So every time we speak on this, we've got to say it's October the 1st. And then the one that he does for the show is like, welcome to PJ Surfline. It's the 21st of August. <laughs> and, uh, no, and, it, and it was great though, because, you know, it, it just, uh, you know, we, we um, Paul Gill, um, who helped out, um, sent me, sent me, um, he was like, I got just the video for that. And so he sent me a video of PJ then guts both in a row, riding a wave with, um, like the lifeguard walking past in the foreground, you know, and it just looked so 21st of August and it was exactly the surf conditions that matched what PJ had said in that surf report, you know, that Gennith is booming, Langland will be on. And, uh, and, and so then, um, the guy who edited the video, Joey Pearson, like moved it into like a little mini TV screen and made it blurry. And then they, they put a ringtone on at the beginning and, uh, and I think it mo- it's moved a lot of people, you know, like they, because then we put a little advert out the week before, for that, you know, saying that we'll be talking about that surf report. And then, um, yeah, the episode begins with like the ringing and PJ's voice coming on and like, uh, yeah, you know, it was, yeah, people were stoked with it, you know, and it was, and then he played out with, um, the, uh, the song from, uh, from free ride, you know, stay young. Um, so, you know, he, he, I didn't have to do very much really other than just ask him a couple of questions and sit back while Rhino asked him a few questions. No, it was, it was classic listening to it. And, uh, you know, like I said to you, I, I think I messaged you after I listened to it. And I was like, yeah, you did. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it was bringing back quite a lot of memories to be honest with you. Yeah. It, it was, uh, well, I'm stoked. I feel like I should return the compliment because I've been really enjoying listening to the grumpy surfer. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, I have to say, you know, obviously, you know, I was fascinated to listen to, uh, Tom Carroll, you know, and, and, you know, Luke, a dear friend of mine, um, but I have to say the stuff I've really enjoyed listening to have been the, like the, the military episodes, basically, um, was it, who was the American guy at the beginning? Gunny, Gunny Bo, uh, Hancock, Bo Hancock. And, um, yeah, those I've really enjoyed and yeah, Matt Wild Goose, I've enjoyed listening to those, you know, cause, uh, I suppose it's, um, yeah, I just love listening to like, you know, the interest and the expertise and the, the experiences that are so far from, uh, from, you know, what I've had having having a contrast between you know um i don't want to say normal people that's not it's yeah. not the right word to use but non-military and military as well yeah. I, I like having that comparison and even though these the people that i've been talking to recently are, are people that i know yeah some of the stories that they that they tell um yeah when they're talking behind the microphone they start getting into it yeah it was things that you'd never even know about them uh, yeah. and they would never have told you in the first place, which I think is it, it, what's really cool about yeah. this format. 
I was I was curious as to you know how willing you know military people would be to talk about frontline service as well you know and I think some of the some of the narratives you know there's a there's an ambush or firefight in Iraq um, you know and, and then sort of talking about the fallout you know and the the having to sort of report on it I think that was Bo Hancock um, no it was Tomo oh, oh it was Tomo was it yeah yeah and and um, you know uh, yeah not meaning to sort of tie you guys with the same brush by any stretch because I think what you're doing is much more authentic um, but you know I've read a lot of the Andy McNabb books you know and been like fascinated to sort of know how close you know how much of that is like real life or how much of that is in, is and is embellished um, well you've got to imagine as well especially like you know when you watch films and stuff I mean films these these days are are, are a lot more realistic because yeah you, you do have people that are you know um, on the film set to say well this wouldn't really happen or this would but you've got to have that yeah. some that form of fiction there to make the story gripping for people to watch, haven't you? To, to to gain their interest. Um, So Catherine Bigelow's movies, you know, zero dark 30 and the hurt locker, both of what, you know, they're both, that's as good as filmmaking can possibly be. I think. Sorry, what you're going to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you do have, again, that a lot of that is kind of exaggerated a little bit to a certain extent. Um, so when you get people and they're, and they're, and they're telling the stories, um, what you don't see out of all this, and, and, and again, I suppose I could compare this to like video games, for instance, like Call of Duty, right? All the, all the fun and the stuff you're like, oh, wow, that's so cool is, you know, the firefights and, and, you know, the explosions and the bullets coming in and all that sort of thing. But the stuff that's real gritty behind it is the hardship. Yeah. You don't understand how how hard it was two weeks before that when you've been living in the desert and and you're like on rations and water and you're yeah. driving around. You yeah. look, you, you're looking for the enemy or the Taliban. And then when yeah. you do find them, you're tired and it goes on for like eight to ten hours or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's the cool stuff I'm trying to trying to draw out of people and try and get yeah. hopefully it does I don't know I know it does you're doing a great job yeah I, I I think yeah and uh yeah you know you you, you mentioned there um you know that even something like the zero dark 30 or uh, or the hurt locker are sort of exaggerated a little bit um I think uh yeah you know I think for me you know like I've never been interested in playing Call of Duty or, or, you know, or something like that. I think I've always been well aware of, um, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, this is sort of, um, you know, some of the, some of the sort of most extreme and most important human existence that, that, that hap- that's happening. Um, and that, you know, um, yeah. So, you know, I can, compl- I completely think it's, it's an, it's a noble mission and I think you're doing it well. So uh, yeah, you know, keep them coming. Yeah. Thanks, was something else I was going to say then, but I've forgotten what it was. It'll probably come back to me in a minute. <laughs> it's the problem with this format. You go down lots of little rabbit holes. You like that. Like we talk yeah. about rabbit holes again. I don't know what yeah. it is about rabbits. Yeah, it's Lewis Carroll actually, isn't it? So it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a, the White Rabbit. You know the uh, Alice in Wonderland. It's the it's the route to Wonderland, isn't it? The rabbit hole. <laughs> I don't know. Not from. I, I'll show you where I am at the moment, and this is definitely a rabbit hole that's got no yeah. doors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Mate, let's talk a little bit about your surfing then. So um, you, you talked about you enjoyed competing. Um, you just elaborate on that. Are you, are you still competing now or have you kind of given that up a bit? Uh, well, no no one surfed a heat this year, have they? Um, well, in fact, I think I have. I, I think I have mean, surfed I a heat this year on. with the COVID. I'm just trying to think it all stopped. Uh, I think I might have surfed a heat in March. I can't remember. Um, I... Well, yeah, you know, I do enjoy competing. I think uh, it it makes, I think it turns conditions like less than, you know, conditions that aren't perfect into a puzzle that you've got to solve. You know, like how do you turn those waves into a score? How do you find, you know, and it's not just how do you turn those waves into a score, it's how do you turn that lineup into two scores or something like that. Um, And, you know, I love, I am a a sports person, um, you know, football, American football, basketball. I played basketball at a much lower level, obviously. But, um, you know, um, I think, you know, to me, I suppose it always sort of justified. uh, But then I also think through competing, there there must be some sort of insecurity. Like, you know, if you're better than the other person, you're somehow like more, you know, you're more likely to be like, you know, selected for that spaceship off this planet if if it all goes wrong. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. You know, you know, because I don't, I don't think like that in in, in my day to day. But I wonder whether maybe it's even a sort of outlet, you know, for sort of, you know, that, you know, I can treat everybody nice and equal in like day to day life because there's this one area of life where I am very competitive, you know. And I think, um, I I meet people a lot just going on on a sideways yeah rabbit hole, you know, in terms of being competitive. I do meet people who, um, especially through surf club and things like that, um they come and join the surf club where we are and then they talk to me in surf club and they're like, Oh, you know, you're a nice guy. Um, because you're an absolute prick in the point, <laughs> you know, they're all like, you know, they really sit, it's like, you know, you know, and, and, or you're a dick in the water. Um, and so sometimes I suppose I do go in the water and I'm like, I'm training, you know, it's like, I'm just well, I'm training, I'm exercising, you know, and that's all I'm doing. Uh, you know, and it might be like a, a, a gruff sort of, doesn't mean I'm not enjoying myself. And then I suppose, yeah, when the point is on, it's like, you know, even more so now that I'm a dad and I don't surf for as long or as often, it's like, I'm going in the point is pumping. I'm going up the top of the point and getting a couple and, you know, I've done enough going to points around the rest of the world where there's local guys getting every good wave and I have to be patient and wait my turn. So, you know, I feel like other people, I don't know, suddenly that whole process has begun to feel fairer to me, but I suppose I'm being really selfish and making it work for myself there. Um, but you know, from, from a young age, I loved competing. Um, I was really crap at competing, um, right when it mattered most, um, like 19 to about 22 or 23, for some reason, I just couldn't buy my way through a heat. Um, which is when, you know, a sort of a strong open career would or wouldn't have happened. And then, um, and then I won the Welsh nationals, um, seniors so that's the 28s and overs as they call it um in uh oh i'm trying to 2015 and i was talking to luke young about this actually very recently um and it felt a little bit as though i'd like was released from like a spell or something (laughs) you know like it was you know and, and 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 it was um in the sort of complete opposite. So, so every, every contest I had won before, and we're not talking loads, but you know, every contest I'd won before the, that Welsh had been in tiny surf, which is weird. Cause like I'm a six foot tall guy 
Um, but I'd always like been quite good competing in tiny surf and like really tiny like comps where people are like you know complaining that it should have been called off because it's too small you know and then I would and I and I, I won contest in that kind of surf and uh, and it was on my backhand as well and it was the final was like six foot left and really really pumping and um and I had uh yeah and I had a couple of like guys who'd been like rivals of mine all the way through um from from Gromit Hood through um Chris Sage friend of mine from down the road and Rudy a guy from Ogmore in the final and then and and um and then yeah and then I remember like after that final being absolutely terrified for like two hours while we waited for the presentation you know it's like people who'd watched the final were like oh you know yeah I think you had that I think you had that and then a few other people were like maybe maybe oh and then they get like they read out fourth place they read out third place and then like both me and chris sage were kind of like nearly being sick i think and then they were like second place and they said chris sage and uh and then and then ever since then uh i compete as like i don't know it feels really stupid because it's only the welsh nationals and it was the seniors you know it wasn't even the open although you know the seniors is a hard one to win you know and i had to beat guy you know like the I justify it, you know, Mark Vaughan was in the, I beat Mark Vaughan in the semi-final, uh, both Chris Sage and I did. In fact, he was, he was sitting in the lineup shouting some sort of like abuse at us for a laugh, like banter in the semi. And, uh, and then like we beat him. And I think actually he, he, if he'd taken it a bit more seriously and got to the final, he'd have smoked us both in the final, but because he got, he kind of like he slept and we went to sleep in the semi. Anyway, um, just after that, I felt like, uh, I just was like suddenly really relaxed about it. And I was like, I went and bought myself a single fin and, uh, and then longboarded a bit and I think bought an SUP. And then suddenly kind of, it felt as though like every wave I ride from now on is like a celebration of the fact that, you know, I can win a really important sort of contest when the surf is the exact surf everyone thinks I won't do well in. And, um, and, and, and yeah, you know, I, I, I do, if, if I love it, you know, I, I, I love, competitions i love watching them and commentating on them and analyzing them and uh, i'm not yeah i'm not ashamed of that i know some people think that it's it's that it deflame defames the name of surfing or the image of surfing but i don't myself do you um do you watch much of the wsl stuff do you yeah well, pretty much every heat if i can i'll put it on in the background when i'm doing whatever i'm doing you know do you find it really it- will be almost every heat do you find it difficult to find people to talk to about it as well? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my partner, Bridge, by default, watches every heat as well. Uh, my dad. Um, I do find it difficult to talk to people who, who've got enough interest in it. Um, yeah, you know, when I was going to Indonesia, I would, we'd, we'd spend a lot of hours and hours and hours uh, at this seaweed hut in Nemberala, you know, with some friends of mine from South Australia, we talk WSL. Um, do you find that then? Uh, I'm, I because I grew up in Birmingham, and then yeah. my sort of like my peer group are like people in the military. Yeah, I, I find being a surfer is kind of quite a unique thing. Yeah, until I, you know, I've got friends that live around the coast, like in North Devon. You know, my predominant surfing friends are from but even those guys they don't watch the wsl 
or anything. Yeah. So I find when I'm at work, I'll have the laptop on in the background and I'll, I'll be watching all the competitions and stuff. But then yeah. afterwards, I'm a little bit like that. Um, Who can you share it with? Yeah. Or yeah. like, did you just see what Medina did? Or yeah, like, I know. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. you're like that. Uh, I've got, I've got I've got no one to talk to about this. It's, it sounds quite a lonely thing, but I think yeah. um, you have to be really into it. And like you're saying, uh, some people might say that competition has ruined the the soul surfer side of it, but yeah. I don't think it has. H how are you going to develop a sport without having competition to push the boundaries of? Of, of what it has to offer. Yeah, performance. Yeah, well, that's definitely what Slater believes, isn't it? He believes that it sharpens and that, you know, the, the, the gosh, there's a video of him very recently um, surfing, uh, I think it's somewhere out near Balian on the west coast of Bali and just seeing him free surfing this beach break and just what he's doing, it, it's, it's only because, yeah, you know, and it's, it, yeah, you know, the cars we drive are fast and environmentally friendly and safe because of the technology that F1 passes down to it. Um, and it's the same in surfing, really, you know, the equipment we surf, the, and the turns, the turns we aspire to do or the places we go on a wave, it's, it, it's driven by, it's driven by the fact that there's elite competition in the sport. I do think that, yeah, I think you can't really um, have a sort of that, that process doesn't really happen if it was just left to the sort of Rastoviches and the, and the Rob Machado's I'm choosing these guys very carefully, the Dane Reynolds's of this world, all of whom are ex competitors of a, you know, of a, of a world-class standard, you know, so, 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 you know, even though they go off doing the free surf thing, you know, that, that, that skill and the drive they've got has come from competitive surfing in the first place. Well, you think if we didn't have competition, you wouldn't have this much critiquing in people's technique either. No, no, you wouldn't. No. Be because, you know, I mean, back in the day where you used to watch VHSs and stuff, you used to be like, oh, how has he done that turn? But now you've got people that break down these videos and it's all yeah. about compression and drive and, yeah. you know, where they're sitting in the wave and it breaks everything down for you. And I think people have got better yeah. over the years because they're watching these videos and they're self-analyzing and then they're critical themselves when they go into the war, especially with like yeah. GoPros and all these other things now that you can use where you can watch yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, I also think that, um, it, it offers, uh, emerging surfing nations a chance to give the world their surf culture. And I know people, a lot of people in the sort of anglophile anglophone surfing world, are resentful of Brazil and its surfing culture. Um, and I've certainly had my experiences where, you know, you've found difficult groups of Brazilian surfers traveling places, but I've had found difficult groups of British surfers or Australian surfers or American surfers too. Um, I think I've found myself, that's the big sea change for me in how I watch the tour now is that I'm almost automatically gonna support the Brazilian against the Australian or the American now, um, and I wouldn't have done when I was younger. So, when I was when I was in my early twenties, yeah, and when I couldn't buy my way through a heat, I would have been right behind Chloe Andino, you know, or, or Brett Simpson, or you know, one of these sorts. And that's what I would have wanted to be like. And now, you know, I'm I'm all for um, yeah Toledo, 
Italo Ferreira, you know, I think that's an easy one. Everyone's for him. Medina, I'm a fan of. Um, I love Caio Abelli and I love Silvana Lima. Um, well, you say, you say that, but I find that I love watching the men's CT. Yeah. I also, from a technical perspective, I love the women's. Yeah. Um, uh, and one of my favourite surfers from probably the last five to ten years has been watching Steph Gilmore. Yeah. Her, her, you know, when you talk about style and all that sort of thing, like yeah, absolutely. She, she's Rob Machado esque. Yeah. She's Dave Rastovich in yeah. a competitive, a current yeah. competitive side of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially when she's done those um, electric, um, what they're called. Oh, the, the electric surfboards. Yeah, the, thing. yeah. The, the tests, and they've got lots of different shapers, but yeah. nine times out of ten, if you ever watch any of those, it's always like the fishes and stuff that people enjoy the most. Yeah. Which, when you think about it, everyone always, or these people, they're always competing on these stereotypical shortboards. Yeah. Like me and Luke were talking about the other day. Yeah. You know, these competitive boards, when people forget, you know, I don't think they forget, but they want to surf these boards, but the things that you have the most fun on can yeah. be these fishes and these weird boards, you know? Well, I heard it said once that, um, that that's because, you know, the conventional shortboard is designed to give you the maximum amount of control for a, a criteria, which is basically based on three to the beach. And I say three to the beach as in like early nineties, late eighties competing. The surfer who does the most radical control maneuver in the smaller, in the tightest area of the wave critical area of the wave for the longest functional distance shall be deemed the winner. Um, the criteria I had to memorize, you know, at the, at the age of 14. Try saying that three times fast. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, um, and uh, yeah, wedge that in amongst all that Shakespearean verse and the, um, the, what those boards give you, the single fin, the twinny is they take the control away, which means that you are, yeah, you know, you, that brings back that idea of riding the board and the wave again, you know? Um, yeah, and uh, I completely agree. And I think what's that, that's what Steph Gilmore does so well. I mean, what Steph Gilmore does as well is um, she, she manages to make something that's all about power and flexibility and precision um, just look like you know a fun to do and b in a weird way kind of like easy to do um you know it's like a parkinson they used to say that of you know i suppose federer and, you know it's that sort of thing um and yeah i think the men's surfing it is a bit serve and volley and the women's is like you know eight, 18 stroke rallies isn't it you know it's like uh, you know you'll see you you'll see 10 maneuvers on a wave and, and a whole wave put together as a package and sometimes i think there you know that that, that is you know the, you, you're watching that surfing and you can kind of feel that building enjoyment of like a wave and the way momentum builds down the line on a wave and i think sometimes that kind of um you know like the power and the punts and the sort of you know I'm not. I'm not saying big huge airs and deep pits is is not good surfing to watch, but I think there's yeah that's surf and volley, isn't it? So it's, you know, it's almost like the women finish, and I'm like, oh cool, now it's the men, and then the men finish, and I'm like, oh cool, now it's the women. You know, it's great. <laughs> the WSL have really packaged that very well, you know. Yeah, I think they've definitely started, you know, gripping the market a little bit better than they had done in the uh, in previous years. And yeah. I was watching the um, the old sort of retro ISP 
ones. You know, I think they did uh, right. like like replays. Over, yeah, over right. COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I was just watching. It's really hard to watch. Like some of it was yeah. really difficult because they're like trying to break it down to highlights, like NFL highlights, but it just yeah. doesn't work like that. It no. needs to be like in a live environment. It does. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. Yeah. Mate, we've been going just over over an hour now. So what I'd like to do is just finish. I've come up with a quick fire round. You like that, didn't you? Sounds cool, man. Yeah. So here we go. So the first one. If you had, could ride one fin set up for the rest of your life, would it be a single fin, quad, twin fin, or thruster? Oh, that's a really hard question. Uh, it wouldn't be a twin fin because I don't think they drive enough. You look at you can't. Yeah, you 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 have to sort of guide twin fins instead of drive them. Um, so, right. If it's the rest of my life, does that mean that I'm still gonna like age? while riding this board or does it mean i can like so do i get to keep today's surfing ability yeah let's say yeah right well if it's if i get to keep today's surfing ability it's thruster but if if the reality of father time was brought into the equation and it was like you can literally have only one board for the rest of life it would have to be the single fin (laughs) no offense to people who like the single fins i'm not saying it's an old man's board or anything but no i feel you i feel you uh favorite surfer and why Oh, that's hard. Um, favorite so favorite surfer and why? Well, of all time, it's Slater. Um, and you know, just picked the sport up in one place and left it in another. Um, today, he's a legend. Yeah, it, it just is. You know, and amazing. Yeah, you know, and and yeah, being being was he a, a three handicap at golf too, and. Uh, um, you know, and articulate and um, apparently not, you know, sometimes not all that well liked, you know, I've, I've been on a few trips with surfers who know him well and they, they, they'll they slag him off for half the time. I think it's because he's trying to do, you know, it's like, it's like that last dance thing with Jordan, you know, it's like, look, he's trying to do this for the rest of us. Um, today, um, I would love to see uh, Toledo win a world title and it it frustrates me that he, he's bottled a few very important heats and that he can't get his head around Chopu and pipe. And I feel as if he can, but hasn't yet. Um, yeah. And I like Caroline Marks as well. Oh, she, she's another, another level. Yeah. I think, uh, give her a year or two. She'll be, she'll be well up there with the greats. Yeah. I think yeah. she's got potential to be another Slater, I think, or Mark yeah. Richards even, cause she's got and- that albatross arms doesn't she the albatross arms and that backhand when you know when she gets to her momentum going um i could be sitting on the couch with no with not having surfed that day or the day before and with no good surfer coming up on the charts and if caroline marks bashes a load on her backhand i still start to feel that the pleasure of tagging a wave on my backhand i can feel i can feel it myself just from watching her doing it obviously not i've never smashed a wave up backhand like she can but you know are you doing that hair flick on the sofa she's you are you just you can feel it you start twitching you're in the compression river in the bottom turn you are you are yeah you you are yeah (laughs) you just are yeah you you can feel yeah you can amazing uh last surf film you watched um it was uh, i was a little bit underwhelmed by it It was pentecostal um yes 
but I was I was a little bit underwhelmed by it because I, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Because um, it mainly because it was just one surfer or almost all entirely one surfer. Before that, the Laura Enova movie um, Undone absolutely blew my mind. You've got to pay for it. I haven't seen that yet. About her quest to sort of um, go and charge Shipston's Bluff on the right in Tasmania and like the injury and the setbacks along the way. Absolutely incredible. First, uh, first surf film you ever watched? Uh, yeah, I think I can. If it wasn't bits of free ride with my on, on a VHS that my dad had, or North Shore, I don't know if that counts as because it's like that's a movie, isn't it? Like a Hollywood movie. Oh, yeah. Then it would be the first surf film I watched was in the cinema in Swansea, and it was a film called Rolling Thunder with Robbie Page. Um, and it was a surfers against sewage movie, I think. About okay. um, yeah, yeah. Your dream surf trip and why? Uh, dream surf trip is probably it's got to be Indonesia, um, and it would be with and it would be with yeah some some friends. And I just think uh, yeah the, the the when you get a swell in Indonesia. There's just there is enough for everyone, you know. It just comes through, uh, you know, and and the way swells in Indonesia build, you know, like head high one day, just overhead the next day, just overhead the day after that, then double overhead, then double overhead, then double, you know, days and days and days, and it's just like you will be satisfied. Um, mind you, Central America is pretty cool as well. I'd quite like to go go back to El Salvador now that it's apparently a bit more. Uh, a bit more of a cushy travel deal than it was when last I went there and uh, perhaps go and stay on one of those bluffs where I remember, you, you know, over a decade ago thinking, gosh, if you build a hotel by there, if this country ever gets safe enough to do so, <laughs> that would be an amazing place to sit. And apparently you can now go and sit in swimming pools on those bluffs. So, uh, yeah, maybe El Salvador as well. Mate, absolutely perfect. Tom Anderson, thanks for your time and thanks for uh, coming in after work and talking to me in the evening. Been a pleasure, Ad. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Mate, thanks for coming on the Grumpy Surfer podcast. And that's it. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe on your podcast provider. And also follow the Grumpy Surfer on Instagram. Thanks for listening. <laughs>